This podcast is brought to you by Templeton Press and their new book, The Christmas Virtues, A Treasury of Conservative Tales for the Holidays. The third book in Templeton's Virtues series, The Christmas Virtues is a collection of essays by some of your favorite humorists like P.J. O'Rourke, Christopher Buckley, Jonah Goldberg, and comedian Larry Miller. Edited by the Weekly Standard's own Jonathan V. Last, The Christmas Virtues features humor and insight from your Weekly Standard favorites like Steve Hayes, Andrew Ferguson, Christopher Caldwell, and some podcast guy. Go to templetonpress.org for a special discount and free shipping offer on The Christmas Virtues and all three Virtues books. That's templetonpress.org for a special discount and free shipping on The Christmas Virtues. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us to help wrap up the week is the Weekly Standard's Bill Crystal. Bill, a week that saw a Republican political debate, a week that saw uh, more terror fears, and yet the headline again goes to Donald Trump and his man crush on Vladimir Putin. Yeah, expressed, I guess, most notably this morning on, on Morning Joe, where he just where defended Putin, even as Joe Scarborough pointed out, that gee, he kind of has his... Uh, political opponents killed and uh, muzzled to democracy and freedom in Russia. And uh, at one point, I think uh, Putin, uh, Trump, I almost said Putin, I get the confusion. <laughs> Trump's the it's older one, right, with more hair, more hair than no, Putin. Trump yeah. has his shirt on. That's why I yeah, tell them Thank God. Well, thank God, yeah. <laughs> so Trump is the one, Trump, uh, Scarborough says, well, Putin's responsible for a lot of killing. And Trump says, well, I, I think our country does plenty of killing also. That I think could be, I've said this before, so of course I'm going to be wrong, but I think this could be a moment. I mean, do Republican primary voters want someone who thinks there's a moral equivalence between our country and Vladimir Putin's Russia? Someone who sounds like Michael Moore or some uh, horrible left winger just sort of saying, well, we kill a lot of people too, so who we, we have no standing to, to criticize dictators and tyrants and uh, aggressors around the world. I mean, that really is, I think, a new step. Uh, for Trump, uh, as I say, some, how many times have I thought there were steps that people would hold him accountable for? But you never know. Maybe this, maybe this one really will do some damage. Yeah, calling the damage isn't even the right word. Just, just, just remind people of what an irresponsible uh, blowhard he is, and and how little he thinks before he talks. How little he knows, really. I guess I'm struck by that. He's a very clever demagogue. He's an intelligent man. He is very good at testing things out and seeing what the public responds to. But ultimately, he's kind of an ignoramus, really. Uh, and uh, the scary part is the number of voters to have not come to that conclusion or else have decided that they're just so sick and tired of the establishment that an ignoramus is what they're willing to take versus the uh, intentional obtuseness of, say, the Obama administration, which is still denying that they need to check the uh, social media of people who come here from you know, terror sponsoring corners of the world and still denying that they've gotten it wrong with ISIS and still denying they need to make any changes in their foreign, foreign or security policies. Yeah, I, I, as I think I wrote last week, and other people have also made this point, uh, no, no Obama, no right. Trump. I mean, he's, Trump is so much the reaction to Obama and, you know, in the sense that Obama is a young, uh, cosmopolitan uh, citizen of the world, law professor type and Trump is everything the opposite, you know, apparently a proud American. Though these comments about the way he seems to defend Putin by saying we kill a lot of people, too, it makes you wonder. But And, and of course, uh, you know, a, a defender, he presents himself a defender of middle America, common sense, anti-political correctness, as opposed to Obama. Also a defender of, he would think, he claims, the middle America against Republican elites who have often sold them out, which isn't entirely without some truth. So... You know, again, a lot depends on whether the actual political leaders uh, see what's fair, what's 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 true, and in, in the complaints that are animating Trumpism, 
and respond to those and acknowledge those and, and develop policies that address those complaints, whether it's in the war on terror and who we let into the country and how we check the ones coming into the country, immigration policy more broadly, or a bunch of other public policies. But what does a political party do when a significant portion of their voting base, and we'll see in Iowa, New Hampshire, if that is in fact a voting base or just a vocal talk radio base, says, I, 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 I you know, matter how repugnant this candidate gets, no matter how many things he says that hurt the party that are anti-american that are un-american we're sticking with him period and you the rest of the party have no right to judge us how long can that be a party isn't there a point i mean i i'm not going to defend donald trump ever i've already said publicly i will never vote for him under any circumstances if he runs unopposed if he manages a putin campaign and runs unopposed i won't vote for him how do we all get along bill and create a coalition to uh to take the white house well, there have been pretty bitter fights in the past, and I think a lot depends on Trump being beaten fair and square by one of the other candidates, which means go to the ballot. Trump's had every opportunity, more than every opportunity, to make his case. Unbelievable amount of free media. He's up there at the center stage in every debate. And uh, maybe he only gets the 22% or so that he's getting in the Iowa polls. Maybe he gets the 25 26% he's getting in the New Hampshire polls. It's not clear that either of those is enough to win those states, certainly not enough to win decisively. And the race goes on, and, and then someone defeats him. I think that's really the only way. In, in retrospect, all the uh, establishment talk of, when, well, he's not really serious about running. He's just you know doing it for, for business purposes right. or for vanity or ego. He'll get out soon. He'll pull out. I, I think that was a mistake. I, I probably said that a couple times, too. I mean, the, the whole he'll pull out thing, I think, annoyed Trump supporters who had the attitude of, hey, why doesn't he get to stay in like everyone else and let people vote? And I guess I now he is, so that's fine, that's going to happen. And maybe that was always the right attitude to take. And I guess I do have enough confidence in the electorate to Republican primary electorate that they're not going to nominate Trump. But I do think it's sort of interesting that in the states that have focused the most, that have seen the candidates the most, that, take the, that are most conscious that they're going to have to vote pretty soon, Iowa, New Hampshire, Trump is doing well, no question. He's not collapsing. But in both states, he's actually very stable. It's like he's got his 20 or 25, 26 percent, more like 20 in Iowa, more like 25 in New Hampshire. And it looks like it's not moving. And that maybe does say that there's a bit of a cap, a limit, once people focus on where on, on Trump support. You know, it's interesting to watch Trump praising Vladimir Putin, essentially, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's a fair paraphrase, his manliness. You know, he's a real man up there, leader, a tough guy, doesn't back down, not scared. And then you watch the uh, attitude of the uh, Trump portion of the electorate when it comes to issues like the uh, L.A. school system. They get a single email that's, you know, bogus on its face. The whole school system shuts down. And overwhelmingly, the Trump wing of the Republican Party says, that's the right thing to do. You've, you can't take any chances. Run away. And you have the same thing happen in Virginia where some teacher assigns uh, an assignment out of a workbook at, um, having kids copy the Arabic for the Shahada, you know, the, uh, you know, there is one God, Allah, and uh, it's just a copy thing. And, and it, I don't, I don't really understand how the assignment accomplishes anything, but it's no big deal. Entire County has shut down its schools out of fear of some vague fearness. On the one hand, it's let's get all Trump and let's get tough. On the other hand, we've got people willing to abandon the constitution, abandon the uh, premise of the freedom of religion because they're so scared. So which is it? Are these America's tough guys or are these America's kitty cats? Yeah, maybe they're a little 
hysterical. And of course, again, what happens is they say we're worried about terrorism. The elites say, yeah, nothing to worry right. about. Syrian refugees, no problem. And then they say that's crazy. So we're allowed to be sort of hysterical. Or we have to be almost hysterical to get our voice heard. I think the, but what's, what's, what is frustrating is there are very serious people out there. There Dick Cheney and Mike Lucchese and Michael Hayden and people who mostly served in the last administration who are very tough on terrorism, who are very critical of President Obama's policies, but also are not do not think we need to be uh, uh, you know scared every time someone says the word Islam or or or, or uh, as you say overreact to right. focus threats or endorse Trump-like policies. So I maybe the actual presidential candidates haven't sort of articulated that well enough, but. It is. It is frustrating. I kind of still think, you know, the public will. This happens at you know times of tension and difficulty. The public oscillates a little bit back and forth. You know, too much one direction, too much the other. Usually in American history, we end up in a reasonable place, and, and I guess I think that will happen this time too. So here's the question for you, Bill, for this week: uh, Where is there more fear? Fear among parents of ISIS radicalized homework, or fear among the Democrats that someone will actually tune in their debate? Saturday night. It's amazing what the Democrats are doing this. I mean, it's one thing to sort of, you know, implicitly not right. encourage too many people to watch and sort of, uh, you know, basically acknowledge that Hillary's got to uh, sew it up. But then to actually put the debates on on weekend nights when they conflicted earlier, there was what, with, with, with an incredibly important football game in Iowa, and now on the Saturday night before Christmas, uh, the weekend before Christmas. Exactly. You really can't make it up. And look, I think it helps Republicans. I mean, it's fine. They're making it easier, I suppose, for Hillary Clinton to win the nomination, shielding her from too many people seeing a misstep of what happens. At the end of the day, they're going to be three nationally televised debates against the Republican nominee, and she won't have been tested the way the Republicans have been. And I think it's the opposite of 2008. Remember those Obama-Clinton debates went on forever, and a lot of Republicans thought, this is great, they're beating each other up. Right. I would say the opposite happened. Obama got better and better at it, and by the time he dealt with McCain in the fall, he was totally comfortable dealing with someone, you know, 20 years his senior and, and uh, who'd been in the Senate for those 20 years and, and, you know, should have been much more experienced at debating. So I actually think maybe the Democrats are making a mistake by shielding Hillary Clinton this much, but that's that's been there. That, that's what she wants, apparently. Well, when you're putting the debate on ESPN 8, the Ocho, you're not expecting a big tune-in. It is, it is truly hilarious, which makes the mini scandal around the Bernie Sanders campaign inappropriately accessing information through the DNC's database. I mean, is this really pulling a, worth pulling a Watergate over? I, I just, I don't know what to say. Cause on the one hand, I, I kind of like the idea that, you know, the Sanders campaign wants to win. But on the other hand, Bill, you've seen their campaign. They don't want to, or I should say, put it this way. They're not running to win. They're not challenging the front runner. They're not making the, the case. They're giving her a pass on every issue that would cause a voter to change his or her mind. So we, it's, it's kind of a bipolar. On the one hand, they're willing to pull a Nixon. On the other hand, they're rolling over, uh, you know, and doing nothing. I do think historians will look at this and say, what happened? I mean, why was she given such a free ride? It's not as if she is such a formidable cat, has been such a formidable cat in the past. She obviously will have to defend Obama's foreign policy, which is a bad position to be in. They have other people they, who could have run, leave aside Bernie Sanders, that he was always considered, of course, a fringe candidate and every day kind of not a serious alternative to Hillary Clinton. I do think historians will look back and say, the sitting vice president of the United States, so, didn't run. John Kerry, the previous nominee, didn't run. Elizabeth Warren, you know, right. the new senator who clearly has tapped into the mood of the party the most, didn't run. And then a bunch of governors and senators, fine, maybe they're not the most impressive people in the world. They're not, you know, but, but they were 
perfectly competent people who would have been candidates in other years. So all got intimidated by Hillary Clinton. So I'm not, you know, I guess that shows the strength of the Clinton machine, but I also wonder ultimately if it's a weakness. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 there's no other way to look at it. And uh, I, I wonder how it's going to work for Republicans when uh, this coming summer, six, seven months from now, the kind of average independent swing voter is just learning all the stuff about uh, classified emails, you know, putting put at risk during a time of war and one hundred fifty million dollars collected by her, her and her family foundation while she was in a position of office. Much of it from people who want a position of power, much from people who wanted things from her. I mean, I, the Clinton cash story, I think, is hugely powerful in a moment like this, a populist moment. And because uh, Bernie Sanders isn't playing that card, no one's going to see it until the Republicans start playing it six months from now. Let's hope. I think that's true. I think she's vulnerable, and she doesn't isn't that strong even now before the cards have been played. Right. I, mean, I was very struck in that NBC Journal poll. She's down three points to Marco Rubio up, Rubio, up three points against Ted Cruz, who's allegedly the unelectable right winger. So, up three points is not a big lead for for Hillary Clinton. No, I agree completely, and so we'll see. I'm I'm trying to see if I can tune in the uh, secret UHF frequency they're using to broadcast the debate. Maybe I can see some of it. I think you have to have a ham radio. I'm not sure. Bill Crystal, thanks. Helping us wrap up the week. We appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.